What's up and welcome in to the lead block. Happy Monday, everybody. My name is Tyler Walters. I'm your host alongside Matthew Anderson. Matthew, how you doing? Doing great, man. How about you? Good. Before we get started, go make sure you are subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts, followed on Spotify. Uh, rate, subscribe, review, go follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. Matthew at Matt the Chosen One with the numeral one. And myself at Tyler Walters CNR. And here we go, Matthew. We got all the college football playoff set up. We'll get into that today. Uh, and a bunch of bowl games coming out are, that have just come out that, that we're discussing as we're recording on Sunday. Um, I was hope, I know I said on Friday we wanted to do the – I guess ESPN's having their selection show at 7. So I don't know. I'm just dumb. <laughs> so I just read the wrong thing, and I was like, oh, yeah, it'll be great. We'd do the show. Watch watch ESPN show and talk about it as each game pops up. Well, that plan just like plummeted because I read the wrong thing, and all the bowl games are already out, which is just as good. So we got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, and we're gonna start not with the college football playoff, but with my guy Lane Kiffin. We talked about it on Friday to Ole Miss. Here we go. I am so pumped about this. Let me pull up this article my dad sent me. My dad. My dad loves we're I don't know why, but the two of us are infatuated with Lane Kiffin. Uh, like when I said the other day he texted me, it freaked me out. He's like, Lane Kiffin Ole Miss? And I was like, uh and I start scrambling looking for everything I can find and I'm like, Is he? He sent me this article. So the Lane train is officially going to Oxford? Yeah. Oh. Bef- I'm glad you said that up. Said Lane Train. Because if you go on Twitter right now, um, and look at Ole Miss football's. I think they pinned it, but it's a it's a tr- it is an amazing hype video for Lane Kiffin to come to Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, it's just they show all the fans in Oxford and like crazy different shots, like B-roll shots that I guess their photographer team film film team had. And then as the video is going on, it just shows this locomotive like rolling through like. Uh, the countryside with steam stack coming out of it. At the end, you just see, boom, like Lane Kiffin pops out. It's it's an amazing video. They played into the whole Lane Kiffin, Lane Train, like hype up kind of thing. It was hilarious. Good good laughs um, and hilarious. But I wanted to bring up this article I, I said my dad sent me. Um, and, and Lane said, this was in an, uh, his postgame presser, he didn't talk about going to Ole Miss, but he talked about, oh, by the way, Florida Atlantic smacked Alabama-Birmingham in the Conference USA Championship. I don't know the final score, but it was, I mean, almost as lopsided as the ACC Championship. Um, but after that game, he uh, he was talking about what Florida Atlantic, you know, kind of taught him. And he said when we get to, he said, Nick Saban in Alabama taught him a lot. He's like, when we was there, when I was there, it was, you know, how do we get these guys to play pro ball, like, I was used to thinking uh, all players were going to the NFL, and your job is to get players drafted as high as you can, and that's what I thought a head coach was. And then he says, you know, Florida Atlantic changed me. I realized that I had a bigger calling than that. My calling is to really help those kids develop and go through things in life because at FAU, you know, not most of those kids aren't going to play NFL football, and they're if they are, most of them, you know, the – Four or five of them off of this team that may play on some team somewhere are not getting drafted. You know? Yeah, late round, if at all, or undrafted free agents. Yeah, you're looking at like your average like uh, high school kid who's who's good enough to get a scholarship in a D1 school, 
Um, but it's not gonna. It's not a Power Five conference, and it's probably not gonna carry them much further than college football. So you have to teach. You know, instead of coaching to so much football, like technique and making yourself a better football player, Lane Kiffin is talking about how to how to be like a coach, and how to like coach like kids and make them men. Uh, yeah. Essentially, it sounds cliche, but that's kind of what he said, which I thought was interesting. So, uh, a it was you know. It was interesting, the dynamic from Alabama to Florida Atlantic. We all know that, right, that most of those Alabama kids are going to play in the NFL, uh, the ones who start. And Florida Atlantic is the exact opposite. But it took Lane Kiffin three, four head coaching jobs to realize that this is what head coaching is. <laughs> so, God love him. I mean, I love the guy, but come on, dude. You got, like... If it took you this long, <laughs> I, w- I really hope things work out at uh, Ole Miss for them. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I don't think they'll be much better than they were this year, next year. Uh, but if Lane Kiffin wins four or five games with Ole Miss next year and gets a good recruiting class in, um, which I think, you know, we were talking before the show, is he going to coach in his bowl game? I don't I'm, – I'm assuming he's probably going to go straight to Ole Miss and just start on recruiting. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think I saw here. He's already on the uh, Ole Miss plane, so I'm pretty sure he's going to go ahead and do that. Yeah, and, and just, uh, you know, start recruiting and get a good class in and then have an okay year if he, you know, you s- tread water this in 2020. Yeah. In 2021 and 2022, you got to look for Lane to make moves. Um, I think he can do it. He's probably going to hire his new staff too as well. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And here, like, Lane has had success in the SEC West. He completely changed Alabama's offensive, you know, philosophy. mindset. Yeah, philosophy. Uh, when he got to Alabama, it was game manager quarterback, um, throw it to Julio Jones or some other absurd receiver, and you have a Heisman winning trophy, uh, Heisman trophy winning running back. You know, Mark Ingram and uh, Derrick Henry, and then they also had Trent Richardson, who was really good, and just that kind of like. We're just going to run the football, and then occasionally when we have to, we'll throw it up to our big guys, uh, the, the Greg McElroys and the John Parker Wilsons of the world. And Lane completely changed that at Alabama. And he got him scoring 50 points a game, which we weren't used to seeing Alabama do, and, and being able to win on the offensive side of the football just as easily as they had been in Nick Saban's era on the defensive side of the football. So we've seen him be able to change the landscape of how a university, like, plays football, but we haven't seen him build a program, which is what we're going to see at Ole Miss, whether or not he can do it, because at Alabama, you're getting the recruits you want. So it's pretty easy to make that change at Alabama and just say, all right, well, next year we'll go recruit, you know, Jalen Hurts and Tua and uh, Henry Ruggs and all the guys that they have now, and they'll come to Alabama because we're Alabama. But if you're at Ole Miss, it's going to be pretty hard to recruit at Ole Miss. Um when those same guys, that same player pool, are being recruited by Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Georgia and everywhere else in the SEC West. So it'll be an interesting move at Ole Miss. I am so excited for this to happen. Um, I wonder how much he'll recruit. Like, obviously, I know he's going to try to win the state of Mississippi, but also I wonder if he's going to look into his connections, probably go get a lot of guys out of state too. So that's something to watch. Yeah, I would think, you know, at this point, Lane's probably got a good bit of connections in, in Florida in those Definitely uh, Florida. South Florida high schools. Who's That's just, a, like, one of the hottest beds for recruiting in the country. South Florida, Texas, California. Those are your three places. 
in the country, if you can recruit very well out of those three places, you can build a dominant um, college football program. And Lane certainly made those connections over the last couple of years. And it'll be – I've already seen a few comment, uh, player comments, kids at Florida Atlantic talking about Lane Kiffin um, and praising him. I think those things, you know, I think he'll see a lot of that. I don't think Lane really – in all the – Lane Kiffin's weird career, um, you've never really heard players speak up about the person he is as much as players are doing now at Florida Atlantic. And that can only help him and boost him at Ole Miss. And I'm glad you brought up the state of Mississippi because Mississippi State is – they're going back to, you know I, – I, Joe Moorhead, look, is he's all right. He hasn't done the best job at Mississippi State yet. Uh, I thought Mississippi State would be better this season, and they just weren't. Um, but is you, if you're Mississippi State and you look across at Ole Miss with Matt Luke – that's a team we can beat every year. Um, you're Mississippi State, and you look across to Oxford at Lane Kiffin. You're shaking in your boots. Yeah. I mean, to to for lack of a better term, it's it's Lane Kiffin is going to change. I believe the way Ole Miss. You, he's going to get back to Hugh Freeze, hopefully without the, the massive <laughs> scandals. Yeah. Level of competition at Ole Miss. I think he can do it. So. I'm glad someone gave him a shot. I'm really excited about it. And the other coaching change you brought up right before the show, uh, Mike Norvell is going to Florida State. You like the hire? Um, yeah. This was – so I'm surprised Norvell – like, so we've seen – he was connected to Ole Miss and to – he also beat Ole Miss earlier this year. Memphis beat Ole Miss in, in Memphis. Uh in Arkansas job and, you know, several other jobs around the country. Florida State firing your coach early in the season, being the first to say, all right, this isn't working, and they fired Willie Taggart super early. He was the first guy down this year. Certainly helped Florida State, I think. And I think in the future, if teams are going to look to fire coaches, I don't think they're going to wait until after the season um, or right after rivalry week like we saw last week where we saw a massive clearing of coaches. I think you're going to see schools start to creep up at game eight and say, all right, this is this is a bust. Cut them. This isn't working. So Florida State was able to have a head start and build that relationship with Norvell and convince him because you knew this was a guy who was going to get a lot of offers to go coach anywhere else. But now you've got three, four weeks on everyone else to convince him to come you know, coach at your school, which I thought was the most interesting thing about the Norvell-Florida State hire. Uh, I it's that one will be interesting to watch. I don't know enough I, about how Mike Norvell is going to build a program. I mean, this is his first big shot at Florida State to see if it's going to work. But it is a good hire. It's the flashiest hire that's going to be, you know, one of the flashiest hires that's going to be made in in the offseason. You got Lane at uh, Ole Miss. That's probably going to be number one flashy. And number two, you know, everyone wants Mike Norvell right now, and Florida State got him. So congrats to them uh, after a god-awful season. We're going to hop off of coaching changes real quick, and we'll hop into this. College football playoff got announced today. The final rankings, number one LSU, 
number two, Ohio State, number three, Clemson, number four, Oklahoma. Do you think that they got the top four right? Yeah, after watching LSU, Dom, I think, uh, actually, I'll slow down here. Ohio State, watching them struggle against Wisconsin yesterday, the thing being down, what were they down, 17? 14 zip. 14 zip at one point. It had a lot of people kind of like, and they were just being outplayed, it seemed. Uh, obviously, schematically, it was not to their advantage, but it's not like they were being outplayed there. But after watching that, and then after watching LSU dominate the way they did uh, Georgia, it was like, yeah, I think LSU might be the top 10, the top uh, team in the country. And then when you look at LSU wins this year, obviously they beat Georgia, it's top five team. They beat Texas, they beat Alabama, Florida. It's just like they're definitely, Auburn. yeah, Auburn. It's like they've definitely had a good enough schedule to do so. Ohio State had a pretty good one too, beating teams like Penn State, Wisconsin twice. But yeah, I agree with it. Obviously, you know I love Jalen Hurts, so the fact that he's back in the playoff, I am so I knew excited. you were super excited about that. I saw when Oklahoma was going to get in. Uh, that I knew you would be hyped about watching Jalen Hurts, so he's never missed a college football playoff. In that is insane, and the fact that the school he transferred from is not in it just makes it all the more better. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think he holds any grudges against Alabama. And yeah. He's spoken highly of everyone at Alabama throughout the season, um, and he's definitely you know you brought up many times over the season. He's got that saving mentality uh, in. Press con- or conferences and any meeting with the press uh, app post game, he gives the most boring monotone interviews, which are no fun to watch from like our perspective. Right, it, it doesn't give any flashiness to to it. But for him, you know, as a as a fan, like if I was a fan of Oklahoma, that's what I want for my quarterback. Is just like, hey, don't you know? We don't need to say anything dumb. Just be yourself and just say what you need to say to keep motivating yourself. And I mean. That is, he is a mold of Nick Saban. Yeah, in Norman, uh, I knew you'd be super excited about Oklahoma. Super pumped. So the matchups we got: Peach Bowl and Mercedes-Benz and Atlanta, uh, Oklahoma and LSU. LSU playing the home team there, obviously the, the higher seed. That will be packed with LSU fans, and we'll get to the SEC championship game in a minute. They just played there yesterday, or two days ago. Um, dominated, a familiar setting for LSU. Uh, their crowd will be much larger, I would imagine, in Atlanta than Oklahoma's will. And I'd, I don't see any scenario where Oklahoma is even capable of making this a game. Uh, I don't know how you feel. You probably feel differently than I do about it. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. But I, I, just, I see LSU doing the same thing they did yesterday, except scoring 20 more points because Oklahoma's defense sucks that bad. And LSU's defense has proven the last couple weeks they've had complete performances where their defense has woken up here at the last part of the season where they need to wake up. And they and they have kept uh, opponents, you know, Georgia at 10, and I don't, what did AM have, like three something? Yeah, yeah. They've, they've had great performances the last two weeks. That's December 28th at 4 p.m. But, yeah, that's going to be a great game. I want to get your thoughts on it. All right, so I've noticed throughout the year, because if they, they put up Jalen Hurts stats against Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, and he's actually favorable in a lot of the categories, but he has a tendency to put the ball on the ground. I know it's uh, yeah. like fumbles and also interceptions. I think, I think he's at six fumbles now, something yeah. like that. Yeah, and so that's a big red flag there. But luckily, Lincoln Riley will have however many days, what's the day, December to tomorrow, be about 19 days yeah, to, come like up with a, yeah, to come up with a plan. Because what they're going to be trying to do there is just match 
match point to point. But it's like you can't have too many turnovers. And also, after watching yesterday's game, you better kind of stay away from Stingley, 24 cornerback for LSU. So that being said, he's going to have a, uh, a, his day cut out for him to make sure that, uh, to keep his Oklahoma from scoring. Now, I feel like that's the only chance they're going to have. Uh, don't, but like I said, don't throw it towards Stingley's side because he had two interceptions yesterday. And he's a lockdown quarterback, and he's only a freshman. Yeah, I think what we're going to see, I think Oklahoma's best case scenario in that game will be what happened in the Rose Bowl a couple years ago when they played Georgia, is a shootout yeah. when, when Oklahoma had um, Baker. And I, I, don't, I don't see, I, I think LSU can get more stops in this game than Oklahoma, uh, and than Georgia had in the Rose Bowl a few years ago, excuse me. But yeah, I, I don't see any way Oklahoma's defense is not going not gonna to hold LSU down. I don't think, if Georgia's can't do it, um, Auburn's surprise. I mean, Auburn's kept into the, the only like defense that's played them good all year was Auburn. Auburn only gave up twenty three points. Um, but yeah, Oklahoma. If Oklahoma's in the the SEC, their defense would rank near the bottom. Yeah. So, and that's kind of their brand: great offense, terrible defense. And it's gotten better, <laughs> no doubt. It's better this year than it has been in the last two or three years, but it's still not. Good. Yeah, they were in triple digits in most of the categories uh, last year. Their de- new defensive coordinator has gotten them into like the 27th, 30th range for a- in a lot of categories. But obviously they have to continue to improve, and so we'll see what happens. Fiesta Bowl quickly in Glendale, Arizona. Clemson and Ohio State. This, I think, of the two games, obviously this one will be an incredible matchup. Um, this is kind of what I wanted to see. I wanted to see Clemson and Ohio State. I think they're the most, they're two most complete teams in the country, and they have both shown signs of being vulnerable at points throughout the season. But if you look at Clemson, they were vulnerable the first six games, and since then they've been unstoppable. And if you look at Ohio State, the first eight games they were unstoppable, and the last few, which I'll talk about when we get to the Big Ten championship game, uh, they've looked okay. Good, but not what they were. What not the team we saw the first eight games when they were playing the Indianas and Purdue's of the world. Definitely, obviously, but this will be Clemson's first football game of the year. Um, and actually, I mean, you can count Texas A and M, but it's going to be their first real matchup of the of the year. So I, this is going to be just incredible. I think on both sides of the football, you got Chase Young, um, you got Clemson's front seven, which is probably the best in the nation. Uh, maybe maybe Georgia's is better but I don't think anyone else is as good as Clemson's front seven. Um, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Travis Etienne, the way these teams match up, or or you were looking almost at like a mirror image of each other, incredible defenses, incredible offenses, premium quarterbacks, premium running backs, and it is just going to be, I I don't know even what to think. I I don't know how I'm going to make a pick on that game. It'll just depend on what happens between now and December 28th at 8 o'clock. But, yeah, that's going to be a great game. Okay, so you know how everybody, when you think about Ohio State defense, you think about Chase Young. Where Clemson, Isaiah Simmons is the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Also, he won the Buckets Award for Nation's Top Linebacker. He's six foot four, 230 pounds. He looks like a safety, and even I think his freshman year, he was a long jumper on the track team. So his athleticism reminds me a lot of Cam Chancellor, but it's insane. The fact because he was recruited as a safety, but they he's so aggressive they decided six to four at linebacker is pretty big. That is, and so I'm looking forward to see how he matches up and uh, how he goes. To, like 
I don't know. If I was playing Madden, I would have him spy. Uh, <laughs> have him spy. Fields uh, the whole game. Fields the whole game. But I think the one thing Ohio State might be able to do here in this game, Clemson does pretty good on run support. But if they could get J.K. Dobbins going in the run game, uh, sometimes, well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes Clemson's front seven also struggles to get a pass rush. So I think they might be able to. Uh, Ohio State might be able to do something with that. But we'll see what happens closer to the date. Yeah, that that's going to be, I think, the better of the two games there Yeah. Uh, on December 28th. So I agree 100% with the committee. I think they got the top four right. Obviously, the the level of play between one, two, and three and the fourth team, Oklahoma, is just immense. So for those three teams, to, I'm glad, all you know, I think the seating is perfect. Um, LSU has proven themselves they have the best resume. Ohio State's right there at second because they've slacked off, and I don't want to say slacked off, but they've had their Big Ten championship game was not as good, and I still don't think their I mean their resume from top to bottom is not as good as LSU's this year. Um, no matter how you want to break it down, I've seen a lot of media members break it down and say, "Oh, Ohio State's is a little bit better in this." I don't, I don't, I'm not all the way bought in on that. That's probably the SEC bias, but I think LSU top to bottom has been the best team in the country all year. They're number one. Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, not to say that they don't have the best team in the country. Um, they just haven't been able to prove it because of the competition they've played. And, I mean, they're going to have their fair chance at it here at the end of the month. So those are the, the four teams right there. I think they got it right. We'll move in to this previous weekend, championship weekend, lead block, 5-1 and one for picks on the week. Um I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't. I don't know how else anyone saw these games going, being played out. I want to start. I want to start Friday, with Friday in the Pac-12 championship game. A, I said this on Friday's show. Incredible job by the Pac-12, saying, you know what, Friday's our day. We're gonna play our championship on that day, and everyone's gonna watch our game, because a, it's a good game. Yeah. Two two pretty good matchups. Um, or two pretty good teams to make a good matchup. Be the corner of the market. We're the only game on. If you lo- if you're a college football fan, every college football fan is going to be watching this game. Incredibly smart, I think, by the Pac-12. And I want. I don't need all the games to be on Saturday. I like them spread out a little. So being able to watch that whole game Friday was awesome. Oregon smoked Utah. Yeah, it was not even close. It looked like uh, Oregon was ready for big time football, and Utah just is not there yet. And it kind of became evident with Oregon going up, tw- went into the half up twenty to nothing. It just like was like, and if, especially for that first half, Utah just was not prepared. Um, Oregon running back C.J. Verdo had eighteen carries for two hundred eight yards and three touchdowns, so he had a heck of a day. Also, their leading receiver was Johnny Johnson. That's an interesting name. The third, he had six receptions for 87 yards. The Utah running back, though, he he had a pretty good game with uh, Zach Moss. He had 19 carries for 113 yards, and yeah. So. Um, Tyler Huntley, Utah's quarterback, not the best game. No. Not the best throws. He, I mean, he was mentioned as – he should have been mentioned more in the Heisman race up to this point because he's had an unbelievable year up until Friday when he played average at best. Uh, it, and, like, this is the thing, I think, between teams who play good when no one's watching them and the teams who play good when people turn the TV on. And this is the team that I've listened to Joel Klatt and others talk about for the last three weeks, Utah. Oh, Utah is so good. Everyone underestimates Utah. Utah doesn't have to play, you know, they're, they play in front of their own, you know, little bubble. They don't, they're not playing on this national stage every week with a lot of pressure on them like the Clemsons and the LSUs and the Bamas and the Ohio States of the world. Oregon has, is, you know, they've been there this year, game one. 
and then they got thrown back in the to the massive national spotlight after they lost to Arizona State, and that's a team who was hungry to say, you know, we're we screwed up and we wanna we wanna try to fix it, and they did. Uh, but Utah, when the lights come on, just got punched in the mouth and didn't know how to respond. And I mean, I like I don't know what else to say. I did not think Utah was gonna win this game, and they I mean they proved that they couldn't handle the big time. Um, and it's but, sad too because if they win this game, they're probably sitting there. What do you think? They're they're in the college football playoff. They, I think they're in over Oklahoma. I don't I don't I don't think Oklahoma had the best game in the world yesterday. Obviously, I mean it took them to overtime to beat Baylor. Um, and I think this Pac-12 matchup, those two teams compare Utah and Oklahoma, and Oregon and um, Baylor. However, you want to mix those up, they you have a playoff with those four teams right there. I, I don't know who wins that. I mean that's still a very competitive matchup. They're all in, I think about the same level. Certainly not Clemson, Ohio State, LSU's level, but right there after it. And uh, Utah would have been in the national championship um, semifinal. And I, Oklahoma stands somewhat of a chance to beat LSU. Utah, absolute zero. Yeah, no, they're just not ready for That's that. That's what I don't want to see. And I'm glad, we, I'm glad, thank you to Oregon, whose jerseys were horrendous Friday. <laughs> they were terrible. Um, but exposing. Yeah, thank you to Oregon for exposing Utah. Because I'm tired of hearing about how good they are. Because every year we hear, oh, these, you know, this one team from the Pac-12 is really good, and they've done a lot of stuff. And what happens when the light comes on? Like Washington, who's been to the college football playoff, and some others over the last few years, they get rocked. That is not the same level of comp. Like if you don't go through the season and play amazing teams throughout the season, unless you're Clemson, you are not ready for the big time. And Utah just wasn't. Yeah. Um, I do think Kyle Whittingham, I, mean, I think Brendan and I were talking about this on Friday night when we were watching the game. Utah's head coach, he's been there for, I don't know, ages now. I don't know how he has, I think since Urban left maybe, I don't know how he's still there. He's had success over the years. I don't know how why someone isn't trying to pull him away from Utah. Maybe he doesn't want to leave. I don't know the scenario. But, I mean, obviously Utah's not the program that Oregon is. Or you know, history-wise, um, and over the last twenty years or so, but I don't know how someone hasn't picked him and pulled him out of Utah, and, and thrown him in. I don't know, Arkansas. Wake up, maybe shoot him a text, and, and give him a call and say, "Hey, why don't you try this over here?" Because you've had success in the Pac-12 year after year. I mean, the last six, seven years, they've been a very competitive team yep. every year. Top fifteen, top twenty. Uh, right in the mix. And had a good chance to go to the college football playoff this year and blew it. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know how he's still there. So he's had an incredible year. All right, and we'll move on to – Real quick, though, what do you think the recruiting scene is at Utah? You probably not great. So there are three guys, right, uh, Huntley, um, Moss, and their wide receiver who I'm blanking on right now. Really interesting story. Those Their top three players all came out of the same high school in Florida. So Whittingham goes to Florida, somehow convinces, you know, one guy, hey, come to come to Florida or come to Utah. And then the other guy, hey, like, hey, come to Utah on a recruiting trip. And the other guy, hey, come to Utah on a recruiting trip. Get those three guys there together. And for some reason they decided to go there. They fell in love with it or whatever, and they've been dominant. Yeah. Uh, like the three of them have been really good all year. They're a really good trio. I thought it's super it's super interesting how all three of them were classmates in high school and they all decided you don't like you don't really see that. Yeah. Like, and I think that's probably that weird scenario where you have those three p- 
players who all have this this high level of talent, it's weird to see them all at the same time out of the same class go to the same school and shine just as just as high as they did in high school. And I think probably the reason for that is the three of them said, "Hey, you know, if they get together and say, hey, we can all go to Utah and probably start and be really good and just continue this thing going on uh, versus where if we go to Alabama, maybe one of us starts. Yeah. So maybe that, I don't know how that factored in. I don't know enough about the three of them to, to speak for them. But, yeah, that, I think that's a really cool scenario. I, I, but I do imagine it's really hard to recruit at Utah. Yeah, because it's so far out there. And like you say, your parents I and mean, family don't really get to see you on TV. And if they do, it's late at night when nobody's watching. It's not like if you obviously you go to a Florida or a Florida State, whatever the case may be. Last time I seen something like this with like three guys was the Grayson Trio at Clemson when they were trying to get Robert Kemdichi, Wayne Gallman, uh, it might have been Ryan Carter. There was a couple other guys, though, but they were all coming from – Pretty sure it was Grayson, yeah, Grayson High School out in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so they were all – but, yeah, like you said, most time guys go – Although I want to stay with my friends, like I'm gonna go where I have the best potential, you know, to play. Go to the NFL with a favorite, the case may be, and that's rarely with your friends. But like in this case, you might see this. It's a really cool story. It's like a trend. Like I would think it'd be a good idea if you could just get everybody to kind of buy in, and if y'all have the work ethics and stuff to go make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you know, a lot of times you meet guys on recruiting trips, uh, and, and say, then those become your new friends. Like, yeah. And it's not at all at the same time. It's so rare to find. Three get three different guys on the same team who have the high enough talent level to go and play D one football at a high level, and those three guys do. And it was cool to see them go to the same same place. Hundred percent. Um, but your best recruiters are your recruits and your current players, so that worked out for them there. Anyway, we're gonna move to the SEC championship game, which was later than the later in the day than the Big Twelve, but with the Utah losing. And Georgia losing 37-10, it paved the way for Oklahoma to get into the college football playoff. Incredible, incredible performance from LSU. I want to start with, was I think it was the first quarter. Joe Burrow throws, I'm assuming you remember this, throws a pass that gets batted down at the line, catches it, and takes Brown. off. Have you ever seen that work, ever? I've no. seen guys catch balls. I've never seen it work. Yeah, never seen it work. And you and for the fact for him to know to go take off running, you know, a lot of times you see guys try to throw it and then they get a penalty and stuff for it. But it just lets you know how dialed in this guy is. Like He knows like the rules and, and whatever the case may be. And also, I think he showed this game he can run a little bit better than most people are thinking. Yeah, I mean, I, like if you watch that play, I've watched it like 50 times. You watch him. He kind of looks before he catches that ball and, and looks to his left as he's a clear lane to run. He's got... One or two of Georgia's pass rushers behind him already, so they're out of the play. Catches his football and just takes off. Gets 16 yards. So not only does he have, he gets a 16-yard reception and a 16-yard pass. So he gets 32 total yards for a play he only went 16 yards on. Incredible. Just incredible, like, football smarts. and like, Football IQ. Yeah, and ability to play the game from Burrow. I, if you haven't seen that play, just go look it up. Just Joel Burrow self-pass. I don't know. It's like... Uh, but we saw, you know, that never works. Brett Favre caught his first pass in the NFL, but he, I mean, he took a, a loss on that. Ryan Holinsky, quarterback of South Carolina at the Missouri game, caught a pass and realized he shouldn't have caught it and just tossed it down and ended up being a fumble <laughs> six for Mizzou, uh, which was a disastrous way to start that football game <laughs> and was just the beginning of their problems that day. But, yeah, like you never see this work, and I thought it was, like, just awesome to see – I don't know, like something weird and fluky happened in a major college football 
game with this kind of a guy. Like, this is something that would only work for Joe Burrow. Yeah. And, and it was really cool. Um, Burrow on the day, 28 for 38, 349 yards, four TDs. Four dude, touchdowns. The dude, like, even, and obviously we're going to take this to, like, a fundamental standpoint of football, the way Joe Burrow works the pocket, If sometimes when you watch, uh, get on my guy Jalen Hurts a little bit, Jalen sometimes isn't as good as this. It's like whenever, you know, they say to keep your eyes downfield and to, for an open receiver, Joe Burrow a lot of times will be in the pocket, will dodge guys, stay in the pocket instead of taking off running to the absolute last minute. And, like, at one time he juked the Georgia defender twice in the same play. He is magnificent. And then just the ability to be able to find the receiver open down the field and put the ball exactly where it's supposed to be. You saw Fromm, uh, one, can say, one can say the receivers were messing up a little bit here by not catching the passes, but sometimes Fromm just barely overthrew him. Nine times out of ten, Joe Burrow is going to put that ball on the, exactly where it's supposed to be at. Yeah, big day from the receiving trio at LSU. Justin Jefferson, seven receptions, 115 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Terrace Marshall, five receptions, 89 yards, two TDs. And he could have had another one. Yeah, he, he could have had another one that he dropped, and he knew it right away. And did you see Joe Burrow like, "Hey man, you're good." I'm like, "This is what championship teams do." And you can see it right away. And Jamar Chase, three receptions, 41 yards. One of those was an incredible catch, touchdown. I don't remember. I want to say it was Justin Jefferson. I don't remember the exact player, but in the second half, juked oh, like yeah. four him. different Georgia defenders with one move, and then juked. Two more with another move, yeah, and, and almost got another guy. But there was at that time he <laughs> had like eight guys around him, Georgia guys around him, incredible athlete, and they have killed it all. Like you could give the uh, uh, what's what's the trophy, the Blitnikoff. Uh, Blitnikoff to all three of those guys. Like, yeah, it, you really could. You can make it an LSU team award. Um, when you talk about recruiting, to go out and find these guys, and these guys are like, well, I guess one could say they had Odell and Jarvis too, but I, these guys recruited very well. And go to get the guys that come in and make an impact like this and then just light it up. Yeah, and, and I think Jamar Chase is a, is a sophomore, right? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about Jefferson or uh, Marshall, but, yeah, in, in just an incredible day from the three of them. Not yeah, much he's out a of, sophomore. Yeah, is. not much out of uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire yesterday, but, they, I mean, they didn't need him. We'll flip to Fromm real quick. 20 for 42, 225, one touchdown, and two picks. When Fromm comes out in the first couple plays of the game, first couple drives, I thought Georgia was going to be fine. I thought you were going to get a classic, very accurate Jake Fromm day. There were two passes very early on that Jake Fromm put right on the money, and his receivers could not stay in bounds on, and that ended two different drives. But you're looking at that, and you're going, all right, well, Fromm, Fromm looks good. Like yeah. he made Those were two really good throws. Uh, and... and they were a place where only his guy could get them. His guy, unfortunately, couldn't keep his feet in. And then... First play of the game, even. The guy didn't even just catch, drop the ball. And it's like, okay, like you, y'all have got to make these completions in order to win this big kind of game. Yeah. And and then you see, like, as you progress, and LSU scored two touchdowns. I think they're up, what, 14-zip now? 10-zip, something like this. And Fromm misses just a wide-open receiver on the right-hand side of a play where he could have got an easy 16 yards plus the yards after catch. I mean, I don't remember which receiver it was. I probably had, you know, 40 yards of feel in front of him. And it was, uh, oh, that might have been Blaylock. It was Blaylock. And who got injured in the game. You, yeah. Like, you miss, like, so much. Like, he just missed an easy throw. And Jake Fromm has been doing that for a good portion of the season, which is contrary to what we've seen the rest of his career like he's been very accurate you go back and listen to the first few shows of the season you hear us talk about how accurate 
Fromm was every week, you know, 24 for 28, like 25 for 30. That's Jake Fromm to a T. What we've seen from Jake Fromm in a lot of the second half of the season has been god-awful. Um, one thing to it's think, hurt. It's hurt, George. One thing to think about: Cager was out. Blaylock went out in the game. I think it was like the second quarter. Yep. And then George Pickens was out for the whole first half. And I think at that point it kind of hit. Uh, if it ever did hit Pickens about how your actions have consequences, now they were without three of their best, three three of their receivers. And it, his wasn't because of injury; it was just because you got in a fight last week at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Yeah. And then so now he gets in the second half, and he did play well for whatever he was in. But I think it was a little bit too late. But I saw. Yeah. I was like, he sure. could have had an impact if he had been. I'm not gonna say he would have won the game, but he definitely could have had an impact if he would have been playing the full game. I mean, yeah, who knows? Like those first couple drops from from and those those kind of balls that guys couldn't catch or the little confidence builders in the first drives where Georgia took deep shots and and made trusted their quarterback to make good throws because he can do that. Um, like you, it it, it hurts the confidence level when you constantly miss those and they, they miss two of them back-to-back drives and, and a drop ball here and there and, and that's all that, that might be all it takes for from to to kind of get a little discouraged and a, yeah. get a little Out anxious yeah, yeah and try to like force it too much and they absolutely could have used an extra receiver in the first half not only because of injuries but to add another weapon onto the field because LSU's defense looked phenomenal in the first half um, Stingley, two interceptions. That as a true freshman, that's a lockdown corner on one side. So who? Let's see. Oklahoma plays him. He'll, he'll probably actually be lined up on uh, CD Lamb. So that'll be a matchup to look at. Also, the rushing game. Georgia did not have their best uh, the game rushing. DeAndre Swift. I could tell he's injured because he didn't even carry the ball that much. He had two yep. carries, thirteen yards. Bryant, thirty-five. Brian Harry, Her- Heron. Brand had was a leading rushing guy with eight carries for twenty four yards. So not the and James Cook, who I'm pretty sure is Dalvin's Cook's younger brother. I'm ninety nine percent sure he is. Uh, had five carries for twenty three yards. Yeah, you didn't get much out of any of those guys yesterday, and I mean that's LSU's front seven playing very well. And then you know you play good for the first couple drives, and their offense scores so fast. And now Georgia's got to throw the football. I mean Jake Fromm threw the ball forty two times. Yesterday, and we don't normally see Fromm throw for more than 30 times in a game, like tops, tops. Yeah. If you go look at a lot of Fromm satellites from this year, I mean, he's throwing the ball maybe 20, 25 times. Uh, for Jake Fromm to be throwing the ball 42 times in a game, your defense is, is not helping you. Um, and, and Georgia's D was banged up, you know, yesterday too. And they had, a, they had multiple injuries throughout this game. I think CBS threw up an injury highlight in the third quarter. Uh, that showed they had like eight guys go out in that game yesterday, and it was ridiculous just the number of injuries that they had and and suffered. And who knows if what those guys will do if they, you know, are on the field. But I still think LSU would have found a way to win. I, I don't. I don't really see. I didn't see a scenario where Georgia was going to win this game at all. And LSU came out and played their best football. And Blaylock turns out the freshman wide receiver. He ended up toward tearing his ACL in that game, so he won't even play in the bowl game. Yeah, that's that's gonna suck for Georgia. All right, uh, quickly we'll go Big Ten championship and um, Ohio State thirty four, Wisconsin twenty one. We talked about it a little bit, or you alluded to it that Ohio State's slow start. I think what helped they they couldn't get anything going, and they ran a fake punt uh, right around yeah, the halftime. Huge, huge pass. Yeah, big play. Uh, how many yards did they get on that play? Like 20, 25? I don't know. Uh, yeah, 21 yards. 21 yards. So, big play to pick up momentum. And then Wisconsin, typical Wisconsin, 
this is this game sums up every Wisconsin football season. Come out really strong, yeah. right? You look dominant. Quarterbacks hyped up. They into the, it was great to see at first. And then second half, you blow it. And when it matters most, you just drop the ball and you can't do anything. And score a point in the second half. Yeah, I was about to say, it's seven in the first quarter, 14 in the second quarter, nothing. Meanwhile, Ohio State, whenever they got to that third and fourth quarter, they put up 17 and 10 to take the uh, win with the final score of 34 to 21. Justin Fields went 19 for 31 for 299 yards and three touchdowns. J.K. Dobbins had another huge day on the ground with 33 carries, which is almost 40. That's crazy for 172 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, uh, just just a great game it did for Ohio job. State. Wisconsin just just blew it. Ohio State also, I would have appreciated if they would have covered their three points shy, <laughs> three and a half points shy, and that's the only only loss suffered this weekend. They did a pretty good job with uh, double teaming and you know, sometimes triple teaming with, with the running back uh, Chase Young. They kind of kept kind of kept them down for the most part. Uh, Wisconsin did, and uh, Jonathan Taylor still had a pretty good game though with twenty carries for one hundred forty eight yards and one touchdown. Yeah, so he averaged over seven yards carrying this game, and I think going into this game, Jonathan Taylor's career yards per game against Ohio State was under three, like yeah. two and a half or something. Not something not good. And, uh, I mean, Wisconsin had a great day on the ground in the first half. And it's, I don't, it's just, they just couldn't get it going. But I think the bigger thing to look at at this game is not so much the dog in Wisconsin, but this game, and looking back at the Penn State game, shows you that Ohio State is a very beatable team. And when every time I hear someone talk about the big, the, the Penn State game, it's like, oh, Penn State made it look a lot closer than it was because Ohio State had turnovers, and that helped Penn State. That, yeah, that is a major part of football. Turnovers are a part. Don't discredit for Penn State for getting turnovers and act like it's nothing in Ohio State's you know, fault. If Justin Fields can't hold on to the football, you've got a problem. If he's throwing picks, you've got a problem. Like You have to hold on to the football to win the game. And Ohio State has shown that they are vulnerable, which in the first you know eight, nine weeks, they did not. They looked unstoppable, like I said earlier in the show. And... and They've had these two games now where they look like they're a team that can be beat. And I do, like, I lean on the Clemson side of that semifinal right now. But luckily, Ohio State has two, three weeks to figure it out before they have to play Clemson. Um, anything else on that game from you, Matthew? No, that's it. All right, we'll move on to the Big 12 championship game real quickly. Best championship game of the weekend. Overtime game between Baylor and Oklahoma. Baylor, you were just, just. I don't know what happened. So Charlie Brewer, their starting quarterback, goes out. And he did the, not look good either. It seemed like he – obviously he was built for the moment. He's the starting quarterback of the team, but he went three for six or 15 yards. It just seemed like this game was a little bit too much for him. Yeah, and he goes out with injury yeah. in the first quarter. The referee took him out. Like Yes, that was weird. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah let's talk about that. Yeah, so he goes on to the field, um, gets injured, comes off. The last play of the drive, he gets injured or looks to be injured. Comes off, tells coach he's good, sends him back out there on the on the next drive, and then after the first play, the referee looks at him and is like, no, dude, like you ain't good. Like, yeah. You need to go get checked out. And the referee takes him out of the game, which was <laughs> weird. For I don't I don't know what happened there. I mean, I guess Baylor's med staff said, coach, he's fine. And he said, coach, I'm fine. And the ref was like, no, you ain't fine. So, yeah. So That's football safety for you. Yeah. And I don't like, – Five, ten years ago, we probably don't see that. The referee's saying, put your hat on, we got to play a game to play. So then Gary Bohannon comes out. They're, I think he's a freshman uh, quarterback, a completely different guy. Like, A, like, 
three inches and 40 pounds heavier than Trump. <laughs> and he is a, he looks like a linebacker, like playing quarterback. He's yeah. massive. Terrible. Yeah, he, like, get, he gave him a spark for a, re- for a minute there, but it, overall he ain't played too well. Like four for 15, as a matter of fact. Terrible quarterback. Like, Oklahoma's defense played well. He had two big receptions in the or passes in the in, when he came in in the first half that were just Oklahoma had covered. He threw absolute ducks. Prayers, prayers. Yeah, <laughs> threw absolute ducks, and his receivers just made plays to keep him in it. I mean, there was one touchdown they had that was pretty big, like 30, 40 yards. His receiver made an incredible play to go get it. But Oklahoma had it covered. It, yeah. The ball was thrown so poorly that you can't cover a ball thrown that poorly. He finished the day 4 for 15. Yeah. 4 for 15 with 56 yards. Baylor's quarterbacks, and then he went out, and that's Jacob first string Zeno. Zeno came in at the end of the game, and he had two bombs that gave him 159 yards. I cannot imagine. It's like the fourth quarter of this game, and you bring in – he's a freshman. You yes. bring him in the game. He throws like a 40-yard pass. Then he throw, Obviously, he the receiver caught the ball like 30 yards, but then throws another one. It's just like, what is going on here? So he, 159 yards on two catches. <laughs> so he had – he went two for six for 159 yards. The backup went three for six for 15 yards, and the starter went four for 15 for 15. Yards. And uh yeah, so we got all right, so three different QBs right there. Charlie Brewer, Gary Bahannon, and Jacob Seno combined to go nine for twenty seven with two hundred and thirty yards and two touchdowns. Just pit like thirty three percent completion percentage on the day. You cannot win a football game doing that. And their if best Baylor res- had any like any kind of quarterback playing that game, they probably win. Yeah, exactly. And their best receiver five, Denzel Mims, like did nothing. They kept trying to get him the ball, but I mean I don't know who Oklahoma had on him, but he did absolutely nothing. Side note, really, really quick before we start talking about Oklahoma, this was one of the most hard-hitting Big 12 game I've watched. Guys were out there getting hit. It was a defensive game. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this, is, this is like watching – I'm not going to say like watching the SEC, but as far as the big hits and the collisions that were going on, it was like, this, this is Yeah, it was nice big football. boy football for sure. And, I mean, some Baylor just hung in there on prayers. And, I like, if they had good quarterback play, they would have won this game because their defense played good enough to keep them in it. And credit Oklahoma's defense. They played very well, too. Baylor has a defensive end that one uh, player. The, um, it might have been James Lynch. He had two sacks. He didn't think it would be a Big 12 defensive player of the year. But personally, I like Kenneth Murray Jr. as well. Who went out for a little bit in that game. Yeah, yeah was, that was scary. So I saw somebody say on Twitter say, I will give my left leg for Kenneth Murray. I saw you retweet that, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Man. Yeah, he's, he's, played, he's had a very good year. Um, but, like, Oklahoma just – their defense really kept him in it because Hurts didn't look great. Nah. Uh and like their their offense, Hertz was what seventeen twenty four, pretty accurate, two hundred eighty seven yards and a touchdown. And, Turnovers uh, that were big. Yeah, twenty three carries, which is a lot for a quarterback, and only thirty eight yards, and had what three four turnovers. I mean, every time I looked up, Baylor was picking the ball off or picking up one off the dirt or something. And that is, you were not you were gonna you were gonna get smacked against LSU if you put the ball on the turf. Yeah. Um, it, like, similar to what I was saying about Fields and Ohio State. Like, you put the ball on the turf or you throw a pick against Clemson, you're done. Yeah. Like, they don't, they don't make mistakes. So you have two teams here who are good uh, and can win, but they have ball control issues right now, and that is not what you want headed into a college football playoff. C.D. Lamb had a big day, though, with eight receptions for 173 yards. Uh, he had that play, I think it was on the first drive, where he ran down the field, juking a couple guys, spinning off a couple others. But, yeah, so big day for C.D. Lamb. He will probably be lined up against – I got to figure out this guy's name. The Ellis Stingley – I can't think of his first name, but um, Stingley from LSU. 
Pretty sure he'll be lined up against him. It'll be a freshman versus a senior. Uh, CeeDee Lamb probably will go pretty high in the draft, so it'll be a great matchup to see. And if I'm guessing, they'll probably put Grant Delpit and kind of move him towards that side yes. to help out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who came back from injury? He was injured for a little bit in, in this season. He was back in full 100% ready to go against Georgia this week. He reminds me like a Derwin James type situation. He's supposed to be one of the top, probably top 15 players taken in the draft next year. You got the, uh, the infamous LSU number seven on yeah. Grant Delpit. Yeah. All right, ACC championship. I don't really have much to say other than Virginia is terrible, um, and Clemson showed everyone that Clemson, Virginia was terrible, and that Clemson's far more dominant than anyone else in that conference. Uh, the ACC has got to do a better job to put some kind of emphasis on football for some. You you need Florida State. The ACC needs Florida State so bad yeah. to be good. Um, when Louisville was good the other year, it was a nice surprise for them. But they got to have Florida State be good for this conference to have any kind of respect. When you're when you have a twenty nine and a half point spread for your conference championship game, you got a problem. You got issues. Um, and I mean credit to Clemson for being as good as they are, and they showed it for sure. Sixty two seventeen over Virginia was never. I mean it was close in the first quarter, I guess, but after that Clemson just put you know pressed on the gas and never let off. You had Trevor Lawrence was sixteen for twenty two for three hundred two yards and four touchdowns. Etn had another hundred yard carry, fourteen for one hundred fourteen yards and one touchdown. T. Higgins. Et, not, well, Etn, I want to stop there. Etn is not getting enough credit in the Heisman race. I, I think when you look at Clemson, people want to look at Trevor Lawrence. Um, he had a bad first five, six games, right? And, and I want to say, like, he had more interceptions in his first four games this year than he did all of 2018. But Etn has been so consistent all year and has put up great numbers. I mean, him and J.K. Dobbins are on that same level. That's why I said earlier when we were talking about that matchup. They're going to be fun to watch go at each other. Yeah. ETN should be getting a lot more Heisman credit than he is getting. Yeah, it's just kind of been overshadowed, like you said, by kind of like the Trevor Lawrence. Just that name. Just yeah. the Trevor Lawrence name. And, and he's the quarterback. And even like the receivers, because you had T. Higgins, who had nine receptions for 182 yards and three touchdowns. Did you see that one catch he had wherever, like, T. Higgins, like, six foot four, six foot five. And so the ball was almost put on the outside of the white boundary, and he was able to, like, uh, secure it and get it in bounds. So big catch by him. Austin Justin Ross had three receptions for 94 yards and one touchdown. Want to give Brent Venables credit right here. He realized that this was going to be one of their better defensive lines this year because of so much uh, inexperience. So he moved the defense line to three-three-five in the like during this offseason, and that's really given Isaiah Simmons the ability to be able to kind of just kind of spy around what was going on there. And yeah, so big game for the Tigers, and uh, they'll keep this thing moving. They generally play better in big games, so yeah, it'll be great to see them Absolutely. against Ohio State. Um, before we move on to talk about a couple of these bowl games quickly. Shout out to the ACC or AAC championship, Cincinnati and Memphis. An incredible game. Uh, Memphis ends up winning by five points. Uh, Cincinnati plus nine, by the way, uh, covered. Yeah, and Cincinnati was up a lot in this early on in this game, but they had five drop passes in like the first quarter, first half, first quarter, and you you can't win with drop balls. I mean, it's the same thing we kind of saw with Georgia. That hurts a quarterback. With confidence things and credit to Cincinnati's quarterback, who was great. Um, can't think of his name off the top of my head, but played a great game yesterday. Luke Fickle's got a pretty good team this year. I I want to see like you know we talked the other day. I, like I don't know why he's not getting enough hype around him to be hired. Um, if I'm Arkansas, I look at hiring him. Um, I saw a report earlier today that they're thinking about promoting their interim coach to full-time, which would be a disaster. Why would you fire Chad Morris for one of his assistants <laughs> and keep the same? Don't do that. That's so stupid. You just paid a $10 million buyout for nothing. 
Because um, then most likely they'll probably keep their own, the same staff and stuff like that. Unless they just feel like Chad was... One thing, you saw a lot of Arkansas players saying Chad got what he deserved. And I always thought guys had mad love for Chad Morris. Yeah, it did see it. That was weird. Yeah, it was like he gets what he deserves and stuff. A lot of guys who had transferred out of the programs, I was like, that's interesting. Also... Maybe something uh, to keep an eye on. Quarterback of Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter. Is that his name? Desmond Ritter? Desmond Ryder? Yes. Anyway, yeah, that's his name, by the way. Yeah, he was, he was phenomenal yesterday, and I just wanted to... Mention that real quick. Great game in Memphis. Um, an incredible conference all year. Cincinnati, Memphis, SMU. Uh, really good games this year out of the American Athletic Conference. Um, and then we'll look quickly at the New Year's Six Bowl games. So all the bowl games just came out today. Got some pretty good matchups. We got Georgia and Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. I don't like that Georgia's ranked fifth. I hate that. They got smoked by the number one team. You don't get credit for getting torched. Yeah. Um, and Baylor, but I mean, I guess the argument is who you're going to put above them. I would have put Oregon above them. Wisconsin and Oregon in the Rose Bowl. That that's a good matchup too. I like that matchup a lot. Uh, and Memphis and Penn State and the Cotton Bowl. That'll be an interesting one. But the one that I really, really hate is Florida and Virginia. Virginia has no business being in a New Year's Six bowl game. I would much rather see a Cincinnati team who lost yesterday against Memphis play Florida. Because Florida is going to steamroll Virginia. Virginia is not going to be able to put up six points against Florida's defense. Yeah, I don't see it happening. They're Virginia's best chances for their quarterback to have an electric day, but I don't see that happening against the Florida defense. So yeah, we yeah. hate. That's why you hate some of those automatic bids. Uh, yeah, they, like I like the conference champion bid into the college football playoff. I mean, I, we talked about that a few episodes ago. Um, but for the New Year's Six bowl games, I don't see the point in making it like a conference. Like you have to pick. Uh, one from the SEC and one from the Big Ten and one from the Big 12 and one from the ACC. Like, the ACC stinks. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Outside of Clemson, every other team is absolutely mediocre at best in that entire conference. I would much rather see one of the other top 10 teams, top 12 teams, play Florida in the Orange Bowl than Virginia. You'd almost even rather see a Notre Dame or something take the bid. I, yeah. I, as much as I've hated on Notre Dame this year, um, and they deserve it because they suck too. But I'd much rather see them play Florida um, and lose than than see Virginia in there. All right, rest of the bowl games, some interesting ones. You pointed out to me before the show, this one I really like. This is going to be a good game. Gator Bowl, January 2nd, 7 o'clock on ESPN. We're still, we still got a ways. Oh, before we do this, why I, I don't get this, and there's a lot of – there's always talk about it. Why do we wait so long for the college football playoff to start? Like, you could take two weeks from Saturday – and play the first semifinal on the 21st. And then you take those those two semifinal games. Maybe play one on Friday night, one on Saturday, whatever, or play both on Saturday. And then two weeks from that, on January 4th, play the college football championship on a Saturday instead of a Monday. Like, we play the rest of the games on Saturday. Why do we have one game on a Monday? Play it that Saturday night, January 4th, um, and end it. Have it be the Saturday after New Year's and just end, end, it, end the season right there. Yeah, and, then and that could be it. So guys get a chance to go home, maybe potentially if you don't make it to the national championship. So the, whenever you get back to school, it's not right type time to start playing classes. So I'm assuming you did not like whenever it was on New Year's Day that year, whenever Florida State played Oregon. They had uh, I, I mean, it didn't. I didn't matter. Like it's like it didn't matter because it's too long. Like we have to go so far without seeing meaningful football. Yeah. Now. And you get programs three. You don't need three weeks. Give them. Give them a bye week. I'm fine with that. One bye week. Boom. Play the game. Like, a bye week, you have Army-Navy. Army-Navy always gets its own Saturday in December. Next week, college football playoff. 
Christmas weekend, give them off. Boom, next weekend, right after New Year's, play the play the college football playoff. Yeah, and, and it, be done with it. You don't need to stretch games that far out. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't like that. You can play bowl games after the national championship. I don't care. Like these bowl games, no one like they're fun to watch, but like it's not like you you aren't getting huge viewer, viewership for Tulane and Southern Miss playing in the Armed Forces Bowl. <laughs> um, BTW next weekend is the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony. Yeah, we'll have a good bit of that on Friday's show. Tennessee and Indiana is the the game I was talking about. Gator Bowl, January second, seven o'clock. That is going to be uh, when you said that to me before the show. I, I hadn't looked at all the bowl games yet. That that one looks really fun to watch. Indiana has had a good year, and we we've talked plenty about how Tennessee's years went. Um, Garantano or whatever. Yeah, Garantano. It's going to be a, a fun time. Um, also, Cincinnati should be playing someone better than Boston College. I hope Cincinnati destroys them. They've had a great season. I've had a lot of fun watching Cincinnati this year. Um, Minnesota Auburn. Yeah, Minnesota Auburn. That one would be good. Yeah, I I like that matchup too. These so you we do get some interesting like why isn't Minnesota Auburn instead of you know why isn't Minnesota playing Florida instead of Virginia it would be my question. I, I would much rather see that, um, but yeah, Minnesota Auburn that'll be a great game, and, and I, like I like some of these matchups that they made. Michigan and Alabama. So it worked out this year that Alabama sucked enough they could play a regular bowl game, which hasn't happened since like Vietnam. So. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, Michigan and Bama on New Year's <laughs> Day, that's a great game. Two classic like programs, but Jim Harbaugh is is about to get just destroyed. I don't I don't think there's any chance Michigan even comes close to beating Alabama in that game. No, I don't I don't give him much of a shot there. It's like Michigan gets to go see what those blue blood the real blue blood programs are like in college football. You know, they're always kind of like, oh, we're, we're like, no, you're not. You're yeah, they think they're more out. than they are. Yeah. yeah. Also, looking at this on December twenty sixth. Yeah, Miami versus Louisiana Tech. I think that if Miami loses Louisiana Tech, I think Ray Lewis might go back to Miami himself and coach. I don't think they're going to be able to take <laughs> losing to Florida International and Louisiana Tech. Like, there's a well, here, there's a bigger problem. You should never play in a bowl. If you lose to Florida International at any point <laughs> in your season, your season ends that day. I don't think you should get to play football anymore. They're going to cancel you for a year. Yeah, get you you're done. Get your stuff together in house, but yes, that's I terrible. Like, and it's funny because you know the you. Those guys are prideful. Those are guys, what's the guy? Uh, defensive tackle in the Hall of Fame. He went to Miami. Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp. Those are the kind of guys that went to the University of Miami. So if you think that like sitting there losing to Florida National doesn't cause these guys to lose their mind, like, I'm surprised you don't see more of them on TV. Look, like, yeah, I mean, you get this whole like. All these guys like say they love the U. We're all about the U. We're all about the U. But you can't get a coach like they have so many rich like former athletes. Yeah, you guys can't send them some money to get a good coach and a good program down there. You do not have to leave. You don't have to travel more than ten miles. Yeah, to recruit some of the one of the best teams in the nation because Florida, South Florida, is so full of talent, and they suck. Year after year, they suck. And even when Florida State is down, like one can say when Florida State had Jameis Winston and Dalvin Cook, it's like, okay, cool, cool. They're obviously going to Florida State. But it's like even when they're down, Miami is consistently down. I don't know. And they just put up that big stadium, a hard rock stadium, and nobody goes to it. Yeah, they should have never torn down the Orange Bowl. I mean, that that just sucks for Miami. Miami needs their own football stadium. 
Um, Cause I think it, it, Miami, the school named after a town that it's not in, by the I, way. I, I, yeah, I that's what I was saying. I think it's something like uh, it's so far from campus too, and so that has crazy issues in itself, and the product isn't. But at least they got the turnover chain. You know, that, that's the yeah, biggest thing in Miami. Turnover chain is. I was done with that three weeks into it. Oh, did you see also uh, Hugh Freeze <coughs> should be? Yes. I think he got a huge contract extension. Yeah, Liberty. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. So, but that's what happens yeah, you, when you coach in a hospital bed uh, from the booth. Yeah, he earned his keep this year. <laughs> and then was on, like, a wheelchair on the sidelines the next week. Um, Georgia State, Wyoming and Georgia State playing on New Year's Eve. Congrats to Sean Elliott. Uh, he's from Newberry, I believe. I, th- I think that's right. I have to fact that. that's right. He's from South Carolina. I'm, I'm, some reason, Newberry's on my mind. Um Interim head coach at the University of South Carolina after Steve Spurrier left, but yeah. So congrats to Georgia State. Had a great, had a great, great year. Beat Tennessee. Struggled a little in the middle. Oh, he's from Camden, South Carolina. Camden. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I came. Correct. I went on a. Uh, it's not like a football visit, but I asked the job shadow. Like it was job shadow day. I think I was in middle school. Uh-huh. I'm like everybody be job shadow like nurses though. I want to job shadow defensive coordinator. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I had uh, been playing for the Palmetto Youth Hurricanes, which is Trenum Road. I've been playing for the Hurricanes, so. Uh, what's the guy's name? Ellis Johnson had yes. came and spoke. Yes, so Ellis I Johnson, up, uh, former defensive coordinator at South Carolina. Yeah, so I called up the guy. I went on the USC and found the football director. I called up Ellis Johnson. I'm like, hey, there's job shadow day. Can I come and tour the facilities or something? Like, okay, I have job shadow. He's like, we'll give you a tour of the facilities. And that was during the time of the NFL. That's sweet. Yeah, that was That's during great. the time. Yeah, that was, those were good uh, defenses here yeah, at South through, Carolina. Yeah, it was during the time of the lockout. So I'm walking around this building with them, and then like some of the coaches are like, oh, you're getting them young. I'm like, y'all, I'm really just here for the visit. <laughs> anyway, but Sean Elliott, was the, I was there with my granddad, and he's from Camden. And so he started talking to uh, – Sean Elliott started talking to my granddad. He's like, oh, you're from Camden. Do you know such and such street? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm taking it all in right there. And that was whenever, you know, Gamecock football was that like, high. Yeah. So, yeah. So – Lesson from that, go job shadow college coaches. That's a great story. We're going to have an influx of uh, 10-year-olds trying to job shadow yeah. Will Muschamp. I don't think he's going to be too kind to that. No, nah, Ellis was a little bit nicer. <laughs> Utah-Texas uh, will probably be a terrible matchup. I, Texas sucks so bad. I think Utah somehow regain their strength there and uh, after this weekend and, and probably blow Texas out. Yep. Um, I'm looking down the list here as I go through. A&M and Oklahoma State is another pretty good game. Uh, and, and we'll kind of talk about these as we go forward on the show. Um, but, yeah, really good weekend. And we got the Heisman coming up next weekend. I feel like, you, if, you know, you want to lay down some money on it, put your house on Joe Burrow. It should not even be close. Um, but I'd like to see, you know, Dobbins in New York and some guys like that who were – better than the guys who got hype on their like Justin Fields hasn't been as consistent as JK Dobbins has and neither has Chase Young. Dobbins has done the same thing like all oh, like he should be the guy from Ohio State. And yeah. I'd like to see like the college football or the Heisman Trophy voters like actually get guys in there who should be there based on their performance and not their name. Um, and Dobbins does get a good bit of credit, but when you have Justin Fields standing in the same background or backfield in Chase Young on the opposite side of the football, being as dominant as he was for a good bit of the season, it's it's difficult to elevate yourself above that when you're just a running back. Yeah, but like we'll we'll break it all down on Friday's show. But like, I want to see him because he played better than the two of them 
You know, he played better at his position than the two of them than theirs all year. Yeah, week in and week out. No discredit to them. Dobbins was just that, that great. And without injuries for the most, I don't think he was out any. No, injuries. I can't remember him being out at all. And especially playing running back, toting thirty-one carries a game, it's like you would expect at least Multiple something. Multiple two hundred yard games this year. That's, Multiple two hundred yard games. That's insane. And I also like to watch the Heisman ceremony just to hear the stories behind some of these guys. Like I, I look forward to hearing. How I still they, watch the ceremony. Yeah, I look forward to hearing how they tell the Joe Burrow story from him at Ohio State to him now. And just how that works. So they'll hammer that into the ground. Oh my god! You know, you know. I just want to see how they get together, do this package. You know, during from the journalism aspect, they get together and make these uh, uh, videos and uh, make it look good. Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about all that on Friday's show, and we'll talk about a little Army Navy and probably some other things. We don't know. You'll figure it out. Yep. Listen. Tune in on Friday. Uh, go subscribe to the show right now on iTunes. Follow on Spotify. Rate and review. Um, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. Follow Matthew at Matt Chosen One with the number one. Myself at Tyler Walter CNR on Twitter. Uh, and I think that is about it. Good championship weekend. Glad Utah lost. Glad Georgia lost because it made it interesting where we got to have like a quarterfinal game, which is a taste of what it should be, where we can have eight teams, you know, and play around and make it more fun and have more fun games. Um, but you know, I don't. The NCAA and our college football, you know, hates fun. So, we'll as we keep going forward, closer to game time. I'm sure it'll be fun to watch all these storylines and get down to the games. Um, tune in Friday. I think that's all we got. Yep, that's all we got. Uh, thank you to Ben Sound for our music. And yeah, that's it. We'll see you Friday. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.